Hello, I'm Father Mitch Packle. Welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we will talk with a journalist and a photographer, both from Poland, who traveled to many locations in the Middle East and Europe to compile detailed documentation and stunningly, stunningly rich photographs to illustrate the earthly life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Before we meet with them, we'd like to get an update from EWTN News nightly correspondent Colm Flynn on what's happening this week at the Synod on Synodality. Let's take a look. The Synod on Synodality entered its second week with a new theme for the participants to discuss, a common communion that radiates. St. Bonaventure, the great Franciscan theologian, wrote beautifully about how creation's plurality allows all the different colors of the divine light to shine through. The divine light is perceived in a communion that radiates through a glorious diversity. Public speeches made every morning by various members of the Synod are a way to set the tone for the day but it's also an opportunity for parts of the global church to be heard here at the Vatican. We Christians of all traditions and denominations make up only 6.53% of the total Asian population and are really a little flock to which, however, the Father is pleased to give his kingdom. In a pluralistic Asian society, the church seeks to continue spreading the gospel message despite the challenges. Some participants use it as a moment to try to inspire, persuade and influence the members of the Synod. So many people feel excluded or marginalized in our church because we slapped labels on them. Divorced and remarried, gay, polygamous, refugees, Africans, Jesuits. For Catholics online following the Synod around the world, comments like these have evoked a strong and mixed reaction. Some praised an understanding of human nature. Others were left baffled and confused by his comments. That sentiment isn't just online. It seems it has also been expressed inside the walls of Paul VI Hall. We meditate and we exchange ideas of course, there is, uh, there is uh, two sides of the same, uh, of every reality, you know. So there is excitement, and at the same time there is uh, tensions. But we are waiting for the end. There is a daily press conference where today, lay participant Grace Rakia from Papua New Guinea was one of the main speakers. For many years we have been listening. And now we'd like to speak, and we'd like you to listen too that we have something to give to the world. The participants are generally forbidden from talking publicly about the specific details of what's being discussed in the meetings, but are permitted to talk in more general terms. At the moment, we have a really uh, good atmosphere where uh, everyone is enthusiastic about uh, 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 to hear from one another. And even whatever, whatever, even critique or whatever, we are here at the brothers and the sisters uh, as we have gathered for the same aim and the goal. It's a very good uh, spiritual experience because we are listening each other. 
So it's very good for that and we pray together and uh, in listening each people around the table, uh, it's easier to understand the other people, you know, and it makes the Holy Spirit to feel our meeting. And with the Holy Spirit, uh, we hope to discern and to look for the best thing for the church. An interesting note is that the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, the Vatican's safeguarding body, called on the Synod to make sexual abuse an explicit part of the discussion and accountability in the church. At the Synod on Synodality in Rome, Colm Flynn for EWTN News Nightly. All right, well, glad to get that update. And like to go now to our guests. They are co-authors of a beautiful and truly beautiful and informative series of books previously covering the mysteries of the apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary at Guadalupe in Mexico and Fatima in Portugal, as well as investigating the history and chain of custody regarding the relics associated with the passion of our Lord. Their talents and expertise in the fields of journalism and photography have now been applied to another book where they are unveiling Mary's mystery, showing her uniqueness and illustrating how heaven is connected with earth. So please welcome tonight's guests, Grzegorz Gurny, and Janusz Roshikoin. Janusz, welcome. Vitame. Vitame. Grzegorz, good to see you. It's great to have you back. It's been been a while. We um, have covered your book, especially on the uh, relics of our Lord's passion and on Guadalupe. And, you know, this is... uh, I have many, many people asking me about, uh, especially elements from the uh, relics of Christ's death. Uh, they, they, and I always can say that's the book you need because not only do you explain things, but as in all of your books, you have wonderful photography. Janusz, yeah. you do the uh, photography, correct? Yeah. I'm a photographer and uh, I made photos. Mm-hmm. We cooperate with Grzegorz until 12 years uh, mm-hmm. and we created many books. And is, uh, half is a photography and half is a text. So it's a little bit like we started to create the books from the titled Trust about the life of St. Faustina. Mm-hmm. And in the life of St. Faustina, that was a painting of Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, the prayer. Mm-hmm. So we decided to create the books, half photography, half text. And uh, you do the writing, I take it. Yes, I'm the writer and I'm uh, the journalist mm-hmm. uh, and um, I was, um, for example, the correspondent during the war in Karabakh 30 uh, years uh, ago. Mm-hmm. And I went to um, uh, Soviet Union 
to Ukraine, to Armenia, to Siberia. Uh, I want to many, many countries and uh, I wrote um, about uh, the politician, civilization, culture um, and religious um, um, affairs. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're applying, both of you are applying your skills to this and making it available. Why exactly did you choose this book, Mary, Mother of God? Why, why did you want to take a look at the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Uh, we wrote um, the many books with uh, Janusz, and we wrote the books about Mary's operations mm -hmm. in Fatima, Guadalupe, La Salette, about the Marian cult and Marian shrine in um, Częstochowa in Poland. Mm -hmm. But they were the books about the Saint Mary, Our Lady, after the Assumption. Yes. And once I thought, we need the book about the life of Mary on Earth. Yes. And I thought, we can do it. Yes. We, we can do it. Why not? Yeah. It's yeah. all. <laughs> and we very worked. Polish mentality. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? And uh, we worked on uh, this book uh, for three years. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to many countries, uh, to many places in the Holy Land, in um, Egypt, Turkey, France, Greece, uh, Italy, and Citra. Right. We met with many experts, biblical scholars, biblical archaeologists, um, historians, the specialist in the ancient languages and Citra, uh, and I collected the huge documentation and Janusz uh, took the uh, pictures. Mm -hmm. And um, our journey was um, two dimensions um, for us. The first is um, the journalistic investigation and the second one is the spiritual experience, mm -hmm. deep, deep spiritual mm -hmm. experience for us. In you know, by going there, you also used different ancient writings, the New Testament, correct? Yes, but uh, it's, um, it's uh, not possible to write a biography um, uh, of St. Mary on the basis of the Bible uh, alone. Right. Because, because Mary's name appears only 19 times in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, so we used um, other sources, for example, from ancient uh, Christian uh, writings, mm -hmm. such as St. Jerome or um, Gospel of James. And yeah, the the Proto-Gospel of James, or sometimes called in Greek the Proto-Evangelion of James, that's from about 125 AD or so. It's, it's after the Gospels were already done. But yes, yes, this is a very interesting book. This is an apocrypha mm -hmm. uh, that was written uh, in second um, century after right. um, Christ. Right. And the apocrypha, an apocrypha is uh, not the part of biblical canon. This is right. not part of Revelation, but uh, for the first um, Christians, um, this uh, gospel was very serious source of information about the life of uh, Mary. Mm -hmm. 
and um, we um, and we used uh, other um, sources of information too. Uh, for example, uh, our meetings and our uh, conversa conversations uh, with uh, many, many specialists mm -hmm. of many branches of science. Well, and so folks also, I've mentioned the proto-gospel of James, but this was a book written again about the second century, first quarter, so about 125, more or less a bit. And it seems to have used sources from the family of St. Joseph and Our Lady, that their family members had passed on. Mm -hmm. And some of the other apostles living in Nazareth in particular, they had these memories and they wrote them down, but the church never considered it biblical. What are some of the other ancient sources from the church? Did you use the fathers as well? Uh, yes, um, I um, read the um, uh, description of uh, father, uh, fathers of the church mm -hmm. um, from uh, Meliton uh, of, uh, of uh, Sardes. Yeah, um, St. Melito of Sardes. Yes, yes, uh, to uh, the Pope, uh, um, the Pius of the 12th. Mm -hmm. uh, who proclaimed the dogma about the assumption yes. uh, of uh, Our Lady. But um, the assumption, um, this is the article of our faith. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, we have uh, on other side the historical facts, and on other side, um, uh, we have the articles of our faith. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, for example, we don't uh, have the evidence uh, of uh, assumption. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and this article of our faith. But, um, but um, I have um, to say something important. The many uh, theologians say that uh, the Christianity is the religion of uh, one uh, empty tomb, the tomb of the Christ. Mm -hmm. But I say that the uh, Christianity is the religion of two empty tombs, yes. the tomb <laughs> of uh, Jesus and tomb of Mary. Yes. And it's very significant that um, uh, the Christians um, have never had uh, the relics of Mary in uh, the form of her body. Right. And this is maybe, probably, the evidence, not direct, but evidence for the uh, assumption of uh, our reality. And the reason that that is important is having relics of the 12 apostles, of the evangelists, Mark and Luke, uh, having the early saints relics. You see in the martyrdom of St. Polycarp, he was burned at the stake, but the Christians went into the ashes and got as much of his bones as they could. Keeping the relics of the saints was very important in the early church. Mm -hmm. But for somebody as important as the Blessed Mother, no, no. relics, no nothing. Way. So, so this is 
That, that's why it's very significant. But we saw other relics of Mary, and Janusz took many, many, many pictures of uh, other relics of Mary. Yeah. So, yeah, what, what kind of relics did you get photographs? Uh, yeah, generally various kind of relics are linked to, to Mary. Mostly the pieces of fabrics, uh, the log of hair, rank, uh, uh, but personally, for me, the most important relics is a holy tunic from Argenté in France. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, authentic, seamless garment who Jesus Christ wore on his way to Golgotha. Mm -hmm. It is possibly even bordering on the uh, certainty that uh, this uh, tunic, Mary herself wove for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the ability of weave that was a uh, uh, basic for women at that time, and we all know that uh, Mary spent uh, her childhood in the temple. Mm -hmm and uh, she held, she weave, so uh, it's, uh, for me, it's absolutely clear that this seamless garment was uh, woven by uh, Maria, and uh, we've met uh, French scientists, uh, a member of uh, French, uh, Association of Scientists. Mm -hmm. uh, is a very high, high level of, 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 of professors. And uh, it's absolutely sure that uh, this uh, garment uh, uh, wore a man uh, in the Turin shroud. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, this uh, relic is uh, very, very important, but uh, I also took a photo in uh, Chartres, it's a beautiful cathedral. Yes. Yeah, in uh, Emperor, a... the Charles the Great, uh, mm -hmm. Charlemagne, uh, received in 8th century this uh, dress uh, like a gift from Constantinople mm -hmm. and uh, Later on, his grandson, Charles de Bolt, um, gives this uh, dress to the town of Chartres, donated this dress uh, when the Chartres was destroyed by Normans. Uh, and uh, the cathedral, Notre Dame de Chartres, was built especially for this dress, like huge, beautiful reliquiary. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I took a picture of, of, of this, is a, is a beautiful, nobody examined this. Uh, so um, we don't know is uh, real mm -hmm. fabrics of Mary mm -hmm. or not. And uh, local clergy tell us that uh, uh, Marys of God 
was you were in, uh, in this dress when she gave birth to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So thousands of pregnant women uh, pilgrim to Chartres. And it's uh, very significant that this dress is showed every day uh, because uh, I visited also Zugdidi in Georgia, in Perugia, and many, many uh, towns in uh, Italy, Spain, France. But uh, normally these relics are shown once, two times in a year. Mm -hmm. And in Aachen, uh, once every seven years. So mm -hmm. if we want to uh, to see those relics is quite uh, difficult. You have to check when those relics will be um, will be exposed. Uh, and uh, going back to Charles is very interesting that in the middle of the cathedral is the labyrinth. Yes. Why in eighth century, in ninth century, mm -hmm. they built a labyrinth mm -hmm. because. Holy Land was occupied by Muslim and was completely closed. And it was impossible to pilgrim to Holy Land. So that was, instead of Holy Land, they made a labyrinth marked with uh, black and white stones and kneeling on this way about one hour Mm -hmm. You go to the middle, in, in the middle that was a symbol of the grave of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting, uh, it's very interesting uh, uh, place uh, and uh, also a uh, ring, this ring uh, some archaeologists examine and this ring is from the, the first century is, is came from Egypt, but of course it's uh, only tradition that that was a wedding ring of uh, Mary and Joseph. And and it's one of these things where, you know, some of the they they have authentic articles from the time, but you know archaeology can only tell you so much. Archaeology can say, for instance, this is a first century ring, this is from Egypt, but it can't say for sure this was owned by the Blessed Mother. That's something that came from another tradition, yeah. but it can say that it really is first century. And this is true with many other places. Now, one one of the things to, I'd like to talk about, uh, it's, in fact, it's one of my favorite places in the Holy Land. Uh, Our Lady's birthplace is in Jerusalem, I'm, and you know near the temple. So tell, what did you discover at the Church of Saint Anne in Jerusalem? Uh, yeah, of course, we visited those uh, places. It's a very interesting story, but uh, going a little bit back, uh, 
de Saint Anne and Saint Joachim lived before in Sephoris. Mm -hmm. uh, later on, they moved to Jerusalem. And, and, and so folks know Sephoris was the capital of Galilee, Galilee. Yeah. Under the, especially under the Romans. And yeah. it was a decent sized city, very pretty city, very well decorated by the Romans. Yeah, fantastic, uh, the fantastic excavation. Now. Oh, yeah, the mosaics but, are yeah, but, stupendous. Uh, that was after Jewish uprising in 4 BC that was completely destroyed by the Roman legion, but later on that was rebuilt uh, uh, by, um, during the Herod uh, grandson. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, probably uh, St. Joseph worked in this town and also Jesus visited those town because it's only four miles from Nazareth. Yeah, if so you, uh -huh. you can walk from Nazareth to Sephoris. Yeah. It takes longer to drive, but it's just <laughs> yeah, four miles right. to walk. <laughs> yeah, you know? a, and it's a beautiful city on a hill. So yes. it's very significant that Sephoris mm -hmm. is a city on a, on a hill. But uh, going back to to uh, Mary, according uh, the tradition, uh, is a Catholic church of Senan in, in Jerusalem, and beneath this church is a beautiful, huge grotto. The, the, it, it's not linked uh, with this Catholic church because the grotto is the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, but we visited also this uh, grotto and in the lowest level is a beautiful cave when, according to tradition, Mary was born. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that uh, uh, her mother had to spend 80 days in this cave because after giving birth to girl, the Jewish woman was ritually impure during 80 days. Mm -hmm. So, but the temperature is very stable. It's a very, very amazing place. And it's interesting that uh, we've met uh, Christians and Muslim women visiting those places, uh, probably asking or praying for offspring. Many times in the Middle East, Muslim women come to shrines of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, in Lebanon, in Egypt, in Palestine, in Israel. They they go there and they 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 also ask because you know the, this the Blessed Virgin Mary is the one woman who is named in the Quran. Yeah. She's the only woman yes. mentioned by name in the whole Quran, oh. and has a whole chapter named after her, yes, Surat yes. Maryam. We we met the Muslim uh, woman yeah. uh, in um, Ephesus in uh, yep. the house of Mary, uh, and this woman prayed, prayed yep. to Mary. Yep, yep, it, it's, yep. it's not unusual, not unusual. <laughs> um, another uh, very, to me, very important place, uh, uh, the 
couple of them. Um, and that is in Jerusalem, the church of the Dormition of Mary and her tomb. Yes. What was your investigation of those sites like? Uh -huh. According to the old Christian uh, tradition, um, Our Lady um, uh, closed uh, her eyes for last time on Mount Sion. Yes. And the basilica, so-called uh, Dormition, mm -hmm. uh, was built on this site. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to the tradition, later apostles carried uh, Mary's body from uh, Mount Sion uh, to the tomb in the uh, Kidron uh, Valley. Mm -hmm. And historians says um, that uh, um, there was only one moment in the history uh, where the all apostles, when the all uh, apostles were in uh, Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. It was um, Jerusalem Council. And uh, then um, the um, apostles um, carried uh, bodies, uh, bodies, uh, Mary's body in the tomb, and the assumption of Our Lady took place in this uh, tomb. Yes. And um, Mary, uh, Our Lady, uh, has um, was uh, was taken up to heaven with body and soul. Yes. Yes, and that the tomb is, uh, again, as you said earlier, there are two empty tombs, the tomb of yeah. Jesus mm. and the tomb of the Blessed Mother that are very important for us. And it was uh, used as a church uh, already in the first century. The early Jewish Christians met there to pray. I'm afraid we have to take a little break. We'll, we're going to come back and... If you are interested in finding out more, you can go to RoshiKoinPress.com. It is R-O-S-I-K-O-N Press.com. And you can find out a lot more about their work as well as take a look at their books. We'll talk about that later. So please stay with us. We'll continue with some of your questions and comments. And we look forward to that too. Welcome back. We are discussing a wonderful new book called Mary, Mother of God, In Search of the Woman Who Changed History. It was written by Grzegorz Gorny and Janusz Roszikoin. You can get it from EWTNRC.com, our religious catalog, where it is item number 6495, 6495. And while you're there, you can take a look at some of their other books that we've had over the years, the, the one on the relics of the Passion of Christ, 
and the the one on Fatima, the, some fascinating uh, material, and uh, also on Our Lady of Guadalupe. And just before we do get to some of your questions, um, I want to ask all of you to make sure you are praying for the situation in Israel, this uh, in Israel and in Gaza. Um, this is something truly horrendous. Uh, the attack that was made last Saturday that now saying that 1,200 people were killed. And it is horribly brutal. I mean, uh, the killing of children, it was, you know, uh, another slaughter of the holy innocents. You know, children just being killed. And, you know, young adults, older adults, people at all age levels, just being killed without warning, without being combatants, they're not soldiers, um, all kinds of horrible things. And of course, as I'd mentioned yesterday, when we were taking a look at the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord had said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I, we have to take a, a, a clear sense that we don't really want people to die. We want the perpetrators of these crimes to be stopped. But the reality is there's going to be a lot more death. That's the simple reality. And uh, it's not something that we wish. Our attitude, I think, would do well to follow the wisdom of the former patriarch of Jerusalem. I'd interviewed him back in 94. And he had a very insightful statement that if you love the Jews and hate the Arabs, you are no friend to the Jews. If you love the Arabs and hate the Jews, you are no friend to the Arabs. You cannot be an authentic friend to either side of this if you don't have an authentic love for the people rather than ideals and ideas. Tragically, the hatred that's on the face, the Hamas posted their own videos of the crimes they committed. And what you look at their faces, they were trained to hate and to look at the Israelis as not human beings with whom you should have any kind of resonance, but they were taught to hate them and they acted hatefully. Again, look at their faces as they act and you see that there is an evil that comes from hatred. And this is something that in any of the situations we as Christians are not called to hate. Again, bringing to justice the criminals is necessary. Stopping them from future activity is necessary. But never 
to hate because then it will destroy us as much as it destroys those who committed these horrible evils on Saturday and after. So this is something to keep in our prayer and to be very, very concerned, not only for Israel, there's concern about, you know, people calling to gas Jews, saying this. This is something that, you know, uh, again, there's a hatred that is taught to glorify these attacks, uh, like some pol politicized factions in this country have. No, no. This is something where we only keep our humanity by listening to the truth of Jesus Christ about how we love our enemies and seek their greatest good, not temporary goods, but the greatest good of their conversion and rejection of hatred so that their own hearts are transformed. This is our role. We'll go to uh, your questions now. We'll start off with one question we have here in our studio audience. Ma'am, where are you from? Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Good to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, for those who don't know the town, that's Red Stick. It is. <laughs> Baton Rouge. So what can we do for you? The Blessed Mother dictated to Venerable Mary of Agreta. Uh, it's a book, four-volume set, The Mystical City of God. Did you all consider or use any of uh, the works uh, from Venerable Mary of Agreta um, in your research for any of your books? Thank you, thank you, good question. Uh, I know, uh, of course, uh, this book of uh, Maria of uh, Agreda, but during our journalistic investigation, we used um, only scientific and historical sources uh, and not um, private individual operations. And only, only one chapter in our book is based on um, private uh, operations. Mm -hmm. This is the chapter about the house uh, of Mary in uh, Ephesus. And why? Why? This is very interesting uh, history. Because um, according to the old Christian tradition of St. John, uh, took Mary with him uh, to Ephesus because uh, the persecution of Christians uh, has begun in uh, Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And uh, the history of uh, the discovery of this um, house is very interesting. Uh, this history is connected with the Anna Katharina Emmerich, mm -hmm. a mystic uh, who lived in Germany in the 19th uh, century. Yes and she was later um, beatified by um, the Pope uh, John Paul II. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Saint John and uh, Saint Mary lived uh, in this uh, place, according to the um, uh, old Christian um, uh, tradition. And um, during these uh, mystical visions, um, Anna Katharina Emmerich saw the lives of Jesus and Mary, and uh, she saw the house near Ephesus where Mary lived with uh, Saint John. 
at uh, the end of 19th century to uh, French uh, priests uh, to decided uh, decided to go to this uh, place and their guide was a description of Anna Katarina Emmerich. And um, this is incredible, but is uh, true. Um, on the basis uh, uh, of this description, they found the ruins of ancient house. And uh, this house looked uh, exactly like the house uh, from the visions of Anna Katarina Emmerich. Mm -hmm. And uh, today many scientists believe that this house near Ephesus in uh, Turkey uh, is uh, genuine, original, authentic, the house uh, where St. Mary lived with St. John. Okay, okay. And that persecution had begun in 36 or so when Pontius Pilate was called back, the persecution in the, mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles? Uh, persecution of Christian... Um, in Jerusalem. In, uh, okay. in 43. Oh, the second one. Uh, yes, yes. Um, because in this moment, St. Jacob uh, was killed. Yes. St. James. St. James. Yeah, in English, St. James. James. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, he was killed then in 43. Uh, and Peter was almost killed, and he had to run. And so St. John took the Blessed Virgin Mary from Jerusalem in that persecution. Okay. Yeah. All right, this caller may be um, related to this. We have Tony in Florida. Tony, what can we do for you? Uh, good evening, Father. How are you? Fine, thank you. Okay, so I like um, about Mary. Was she um, preaching the gospel after Jesus was crucified? Number one, and number two, if if they know or anybody knows, how old was she when she was uh, ascended to heaven? Uh, and uh, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. And um, We'll pray for you, Father Mitch, as always, and pray for my mo my my mother and my my wife. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. We'll keep them in our prayers too. So, um, did the Blessed Mother preach the gospel after Jesus had been uh, ascended into heaven? Hmm. Mm, we don't know. Um how old uh, was um, St. Mary mm -hmm. when uh, um, she died. Mm -hmm. Because um, we don't know um, when, uh, where um, uh, St. Mary uh, was born. Mm -hmm. We don't uh, know the concrete, um, concrete uh, year and um, uh, day. Yeah, and this so is that the, the, the proto gospel the, of James does not tell us who very you know, difficult the year. to say, very no, difficult yeah. um, uh, to say. Yeah, probably she took away in 49, so about 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Mm -hmm. But how old was she mm -hmm. when Jesus was born? Some 
2000, 2015, 15, 15 to so, 20, so she would be somewhere uh, in maybe her 60s, yeah. you know, somewhere around there, so as much as we could say. But as far as her preaching, we never see the, in Acts of the Apostles, it's never stated that the Blessed Virgin Mary preached to people. Nigde. Yeah. No, as far no. as we know, right? Yeah. So she never preached. No. But I, if I could add, uh, you know, from studies of the New Testament, when you look at the Gospel of St. Luke, you see that Luke was a medical doctor, very well educated. The Greek in the Gospel of St. Luke is quite excellent. It's something that, um, you know, has just excellent quality, classical style, as good as any Greek writer might be in the way he writes when he's writing his own material. But in the first two chapters, the Greek is not good. It's not very good. Only the first four verses, classical Greek, excellent quality. And then from chapter 1, verse 5, until the end of chapter 2, that's the material that covers the birth of G the Annunciation to uh, St. Uh, Zechariah, the father John the Baptist, and the visitation, the Annunciation, the birth of Jesus, the shepherds, presentation in the temple, the 12, when he's 12 going to the temple, all that's in that section. And the Greek is not good. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, you know, mean to, to tease you, but, you know, my grandmother came from Poland and she talked English, Nafani. He's not so good English. <laughs> she had an accent, but also her grammar wasn't very good because she used, she thought like she was in Polish and she would translate into English exactly, you know, like from Polish. Well, in those two chapters, it's as if you, it was somebody who wrote in Aramaic and then translated literally into Greek. It's not good Greek because they stick too close to the Aramaic, but you can translate back into Aramaic. And it seems to get to the question, it sounds roundabout, but that Our Lady would have been the only one who was a living witness to all of this. She was the only one who saw, you know, and, and talked to Zechariah and Elizabeth and was at the birth. So this in some way must go back to her telling it in Aramaic 
It was probably written down in Aramaic as a short book. And then later on, when St. Luke came to Jerusalem in 58 AD, about nine years or so after Our Lady had assumed, he translated it into Greek, but it would go back to her. So she didn't preach, but she helped compose two chapters of the Bible. So that's, that's what I would suggest. We have another question. We have Jean in Virginia. Hello? Hello. How are you? What can we do for you today? Well, I was just curious because I thought that um, uh, Mary was living with John in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. So how did she get down to Mount Zion to die? Okay. Good, good question. So if she had gone with St. John to Ephesus, how did she end up in Jerusalem uh, where she died? Uh, with St. John. Yeah, she that... came back to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's uh, for sure that we know that St. John spent a few years with uh, Mary's in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. They came back to Jerusalem for this council, and Mary came back with him to Jerusalem with St. John. And later on, St. John spent a few years in, not only in, in Ephesus, in Asia Minor on the beautiful island Patmos. Mm -hmm. We visited this place where he dictated the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, and uh, he died, uh, John died. Uh, in Patmos? Uh, or in Ephesus? No, no, no. In Ephesus, he came back to uh, uh, Asia Minor, mm -hmm. because that was the seven uh, churches of, of Apocalypse. Right. We said all those churches, and, and uh, his uh, grave is uh, n uh, not in Ephesus. What is the name? It's, I forgot. It's just outside. It's a, uh, his grave is at the uh, old basilica of yeah, St. John. Uh, Ephesus. Yeah, Ephesus. Just yeah, outside. Ephesus. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yes. a little bit outside, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful ruins of, of this uh, basilica. They mm -hmm. Turkey reconstructed those, those basilica in a small scale. So we, we visited this uh, place, and it, it was amazing to be in this uh, grotto, beautiful Grotta is now is the Orthodox uh, Church, uh, mm -hmm. and see the some remnants for John, uh, Saint John Apostle. So, and uh, uh, going back to Ephesus, that was only a fantastic story. The second equipe, because Gregor told about two, about two French. Uh, priest, but that was 10 years later, because this uh, knowledge about this house um, was not spread. It was not a continuous tradition. Yeah, yeah but, it, but 
It was re rediscovered in the late yeah, 1800s. But uh, in Izmir, uh, the sister read the books, the bestseller book of Katharine Emmerich, and the mother superior tell to the sister, listen, it's something unbelievable. It's only 37 miles from our house. So we have to organize a special team to go to found this place. Mm -hmm. And they found this place. And in this moment, this, uh, uh, this knowledge, this news spread over the world. So yes. they, the, the church bought a huge land because that was not yeah. Asia Minor, but Turkey that time, uh, Ottoman Empire, mm, and uh, they bought a huge land and rebuilt this church. And uh, we visited this church. I, yeah. I have a special privilege to, uh, to get picture, uh, photos in, in this place, so we show in the book. Yeah, and I've been course. able to celebrate mass there myself. Really? Yeah. But so that was impossible to uh, quite difficult to, to have permission for taking uh, photo in... You know how it is with Polish people. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but uh, uh, so, so to answer your question, Gene, they, they would have gone to Ephesus about the year 43 during that persecution, stayed there, and then returned to Jerusalem. And we see the apostles have come back to Jerusalem in uh, 48, 49 for the council. Uh, even Peter came back yeah. uh, because actually the king who did the persecution had already died, Herod Agrippa I. Uh, and then that's when she died. And then later on in the uh, 70s, St. John returned to Ephesus. Paul preached there in the 50s. St. Timothy was there in the 60s. And then John came back in the uh, 70s and stayed there till he died, 95 to 100. Again, the, we're discussing a wonderful book called Mary, Mother of God, In Search of the Woman Who Changed History by our guests, Grzegorz Gurne and Janusz Roshikoin. It's item 6495 at EWTNRC.com. Urge you to get that and learn more. Thank you both for being with us, and may the Lord bless all of you and keep you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we can bring you these guests and all the other programs that we do only because the network is brought to you by you. That's how our Lord inspired Mother Angelica. So we ask that you keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. And if you do that, we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you all and thank you very much for your support. Mm -hmm.